Good to be together. And uh, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here. I get uh, on fifth Sundays to lead the music team, so that's a lot of fun. I hope it, I hope it was fun for you guys, <laughs> and ultimately worshipful uh, as well. Uh, we're going to continue in our series on the church. So we, as a church, uh, love to go through books of the Bible. Uh, there's nothing more amazing, uh, perhaps, than the reality that we have the very words of God uh, in this book called the Bible uh, that we get to hear from and learn from and live by. And so we love to go through just books of the Bible, but also it's helpful at times to address different topics from the Bible. So uh, once or twice a year or so, maybe three times, we take time for mini-series on certain topics. So we're talking about the church, and uh, I want to talk today about the, the people, the church's people. And you might be looking at that overhead wondering, what in the world is that? Does anyone have a guess on what that is? The there we, you guys are brilliant. All right. No, there's, everyone understood. Good. Uh, so open the doors and there are all the people. So we want to talk about the church's people today. And this is uh, such an important thing for us to understand uh, these truths about the church that we've been addressing, I think, are, are very necessary. We, we live in a time um, where uh, they're really, it's an age of extreme independence, and we see social strife. People live very independently and view the world often through social media. So the, prims, the prism of the world, the paradigm of the world, is, is created by looking through uh, social media and, and different influences such as that. And I, I think it gives a, us a distorted view of society and of mankind and of relationships. Um, and we are subject to this. We are influenced by this reality. We feel it, don't we? We, we feel the, the angst, the, the, the dysphoria of our current culture. And the Word of God presents to us a radically different and amazingly helpful vision and viewpoint of ourselves and of life. And one of the most profound things that it does is it gives us a view of the church. What is the church? And that's what we've been looking at. We need to see what the church is. We need to understand who we are and who God is, who we are corporately in light of the church. So we've been looking at different aspects of this, the nature of the church, its purposes, its power, its polity, and today it's, it's people. The people are the building material of the church. Not rocks and beams and roofing, but people. And therefore understanding what it is to be the people of God, people in a church, is so important. So we're going to take time today just to dig into 1 Corinthians 12, uh, a helpful passage, a very important passage for us to look at. This is a passage in a letter written to a people, a church in Scripture that was very confused on these topics, very confused on the nature of the church, very confused on what it is to be a people related to each other. There was dysphoria in their lives and in their minds. And so this letter was written by the Apostle Paul and given to us as a gift by God himself through Paul to help us as well in our dysphoria. To help us to understand who we are and what it means to be his people. We need the word of God. We need the word to flush out the wrong thinking and lead us in a new picture of life. 
a new picture of ourselves, a new picture of how we relate to others. This is the need of the day. This is the need of every day. This is the need that the Word of God adequately and wonderfully answers. So let's pray and ask God to teach us through His Word. Lord, we thank You for 1 Corinthians 12. We thank You for these truths. We thank You, Lord, that You don't leave us in this place of angst and dysphoria and confusion about who we are and how we relate to you. you. You bring truth to us. And this very important passage is your truth for us today. And Lord, your truth is not just intellectual truth. It's not just about understanding the concepts. The way you work, Lord, is, is truth has impact in every way. And so we ask, oh God, by the power of the Holy Spirit now, as we are before your word, to change us, to bring encouragement and equipping and, and strength and hope, joy, and a different perspective that's a heavenly one as a result of your word being proclaimed and taught and heard and empowered by the Spirit. We need you so much, but we know you want to speak to us, so we thank you and ask this for the glory of your worthy name. Amen. Amen. Follow along with me as I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I did not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This chapter teaches us about the nature of the church and its people. It teaches us this, to sum it up, the church is comprised of truly spiritual, diversely gifted people, united as one body in love. The church is comprised of truly spiritual, diversely gifted people, united as one body in love. So I'm just going to walk through that statement. I think that statement represents this chapter well, and we'll, we'll learn about God's Word and these truths as we go. So first, truly spiritual. The background here uh, with the Corinthians is this is a church that was living really what was a boon town. It was a newly growing town. Though an ancient city, it had been destroyed and then reconstructed. And so it was this new city that people flocked to for opportunities. And as a result, there was a lot of social strife as people tried to climb the, the social ladder. And so they were former slaves, there were immigrants, retired soldiers, and nouveau riche sort of people all mixed together, all scrambling for, for success and status. Sound familiar? In some ways, this marks our culture. And in this context, uh, spiritual status was an important thing to attain. Mixed into this whole uh, societal uh, phenomena is the reality of, of the religions there at the time, and, and the mystery religions as they were called. And these mystery religions were really uh, much about, about experience, uh, spiritual experience. Very similar actually to what we see happening today with a, a increased, increase, increased interest in the occult, and in Wicca and things like that. This idea of trying to understand our world, trying to get in touch with the spiritual, and then experiences in power mean a lot. That's the mix of the city of Corinth and the surrounding area. And so people had this background. They had these values that were happening. And in light of that, their, their views of themselves and the church were very mixed up. And so spiritual status was really important. And so enter into that reality, the reality of the gift of tongues and the uh, apparent nature of, of spiritual power in tongues, and you have the problem in Corinth if you've read the context. There's a problem with tongues that are addressed in, in the following chapters. It was really cool to speak in tongues. It was really cool to say, I'm one of the ones that can speak in tongues. How about you? You want to hear my language? Let me show you what I can do. Now, tongues are a gift. We'll talk about that briefly shortly. A gift of being able to, to speak unknown languages, be they human or angelic. And that were, were, are used, those unknown languages and utterances are used as praise and prayer to God. So it's Godward. 
It is a legitimate gift, but it was being paraded around as a status symbol in this church. And so Paul writes this letter to address this, and he writes this chapter actually to address this problem. He wants them to understand some important things about who they are and to shift how they understand themselves. Instead of coming to church and thinking of themselves in these ways, he wants them to think differently. And so his first topic to address is true spirituality. What does it mean to be truly spiritual? And so he says, not concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. You guys have this background, he's saying. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He's leading with this to, to basically say, guys, this is the utterance that ultimately matters. You want to boast about what you utter? You want to boast about what you can do with your tongue? Here is the most important thing that you can do with your tongue. And here is the most miraculous thing that you can do with your tongue because you guys, your backgrounds, you know what they were. You were led astray into all sorts of stuff. And you would say all sorts of stuff. And you would do this ecstatic speech in your mystery religions and say things, even things like Jesus is accursed. This is who you were. But now you are a different people. You have been transformed by the good news of Christ. This good news that Christ died for our sins, rose again to grant us new life. That Christ has so identified with us that through simple faith in who He is and what He's done, we are forgiven for our sins before God and our sins against one another. And we are counted righteous in the perfect righteous life sacrificed in our place. And we are empowered with new life through the reality of the resurrection. And now we can say from our hearts, by the power of the Spirit, not Jesus is accursed or things like that, but Jesus is Lord. I'm so grateful for this miracle in our lives, in my life. Because before I knew the Lord, though growing up in a, a devout Christian home, I wasn't a believer, and I would say variants of Jesus is accursed. I would tell, I remember telling sacrilegious jokes on Easter weekend and shocking my non-Christian friends even. And yet God has worked a miracle in my life and in your lives. That there's no joy in that sort of thing. There's joy instead in the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in charge. He's the ultimate king. He rules over all. And what Paul's saying is, guys, this is the mark of true spirituality. That you now utter Jesus is Lord. That you have experienced a transformed life. That speaks the truth about Christ, this ultimate reality, this most important reality, that He is Lord. There's nothing better actually to say because there's no better topic to talk about than Christ and who He is in all of His glory. God in the flesh, faithful and perfect, loving others, laying down His life, proclaiming truths that are just so amazing and, and transforming Coming in and rocking our world and rescuing us and now reigning and soon returning. There's nothing better than to say Jesus is Lord. And there's no greater spirituality. There's no higher level of spirituality than, than to simply be able to say by the power of the Spirit in you, Jesus is Lord. 
The Christian life starts, continues, and is completed with Jesus at the center. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you and your gifts, first and foremost, certainly. That's what Paul's saying here to the Corinthians and to us, that we would understand ourselves differently, not as I measure myself by my giftedness and what I bring to the party, but I measure myself by this reality that I have been rescued by Christ. I am loved by God and empowered by the Spirit now to say and to live the reality that Jesus is Lord. Uh, I've told the story before. Our first church um, had a banner up behind the altar. It was Psalm 46.10. It said, Be still and know that I am God. It was meant to be something as you entered into worship that you would sit down and be still and think about God. We were in the inner city and we had all sorts of people come and visit us and we had one woman sit down reflectively and then comment to one of the people in our church. It's just so helpful sometimes to be still and know that you are God yourself. She understood it that way. Thinking about myself, be still and know that I am God. Now, I don't think any of us would ever say that now. But we often can live this way, can't we? We can think that it's about us. We can put ourselves at the center of the universe, can't we? We can think about how good we are at something, or how righteous we are in ourselves, or how involved we get to be, or how significant we are in others' lives. And all those things perhaps have their proper place. But this passage teaches us the most important reality is Christ. And the most important identity that we can carry is that we belong to Him and we say now by the Spirit, Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul's getting at here. He's trying to adjust the Corinthians. God's trying to adjust us that we would understand this reality, this core of Christ crucified and risen is of the core of our very identity. And it's more important than any other sort of giftedness or experience of the Spirit to experience new life and this ability to, to be changed in what you think and believe and what you say. Paul goes on in chapter 12 and verses 4 through 6 to, to continue to highlight the, the God-centeredness of everything. He says through verses 4 through 6, he's teaching them there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now Paul, I believe, is purposefully mentioning the Trinity here. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, God the Father. The three in one. One in being, three, three persons. And that there are these varieties of gifts. There are varieties of ways to serve. There are varieties of activities that he grants his church, that he does in his church. But they're all from the same God. They're all from God. It's all about the giver, not the gifts themselves. Our boast should not be in our giftedness, but in the giver. We are recipients of gifts, amazingly, from the triune God, the eternal, glorious God, who made all things, who rules over all things, from whom all things are made and to whom belong all things. This great and glorious God is a gift-giving God. And He loves to give to His church a variety of gifts. He's doing this. He gives all types of gifts. There's all types of service. There's all types of activities that He grants. But, but it's not about the gift and it's not about us. It's ultimately about the gift giver. This gracious one 
who works. So we get our eyes off of ourselves and our particular giftedness and on the gift giver, the triune God. That's what Paul's doing here in this passage. Our spirituality is measured by the reality that we belong to him and he is the gift giver. It says something similar in verse 13. Again, this theme resonates throughout. Verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So all of us, every believer, every one of us, we are all baptized into one body in one spirit. And we're all made to drink of one spirit. So we're baptized in one spirit. We all have experienced, this teaches us, every believer has experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what's being taught in verse 13. We've all been baptized in the one spirit. And we've all, uh, we all have drunk from the one spirit. So to put it bluntly, we've been dunked and we're drunk in the spirit. All of us. This is who we are. We've all been dunked, baptized, and we've all we all have drunk of the Spirit, the one Spirit. This is who we are as a people. We are Holy Spirit people. That brings us together. That makes us understand it's one Spirit. We're, there aren't different classes of people here. There's not some other, you know, side group here. We're all one. We're all those who have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We've been immersed in the Spirit and we have drunk of the Spirit. He's outside of us. He's in us, all of us. I thought of uh, an analogy here. I hope it helps you. Hopefully it's not one of those stories that sticks in your mind bigger than the message. But um, anyone here ever heard of colloidal silver? Maybe some of you have used colloidal silver. Um, so it, it's silver that's in a... Uh, in suspension in water. Um, and silver has this property, actually, of, uh, of it's a biocide, so it will help uh, attack uh, different things like bacteria and, and fungi and so forth. So that's why people take it. But it has this really uh, peculiar and maybe you call it dangerous property that the silver, uh, your body doesn't kick the silver out of your body. It stays in your body. So if you take it in, it, it doesn't have a, a, an easy way to get it out. And when, it, when silver gets exposed to sunlight, it turns a very pretty shade of blue. And so if you put colloidal silver on a cut, if you're, if you're not careful, it can turn it blue. And if you drink it, some people drink it. Now, by the way, please don't do this on this illustration. So I just want to say that qualifier. I'm not speaking as an expert in colloidal silver for your medicinal use. It's an illustration. But anyhow... If you happen to drink it, you'll, you can turn yourself blue. Um, so there are actually people that are blue. I don't know if you've ever seen. Anyone ever seen the picture of the blue people? Yeah, from colloidal silver. So it's something that if you immerse yourself in, it turns you blue. And if you take it in, it turns you blue. And you will eventually end up, perhaps like all of us, if we all did this, would be the blue man group. You know the blue man group? <laughs> don't do this, okay? I'm not suggesting that we do this. But this is an analogy of the reality of the Holy Spirit and who we are. We're not the blue man group, we're the new man group. Uh, we've all experienced the Spirit in our lives, changing us, permeating us. We've all experienced the baptism of the Spirit, being immersed in the power of the Spirit. We are Holy Spirit people. 
in the one spirit. This is who we are together. We are like the blue man group. We are all distinct as God's people. We're called together as God's people. We are people who have experienced the Holy Spirit in these ways. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are our true spirituality. They are what bring us together. They are our our identity. This is true spirituality. And so this letter to the Corinthians and God's word to us challenges us to ask, what is our primary identity? You might have many identities. You might have different ways to think of yourselves. But I would submit to you, if you're a believer, this is teaching you what your primary identity is above anything else. You are Holy Spirit people. You are people of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have been stained for permanently with the reality and the life of the Holy Spirit. This is your spirituality. This is the peak of what you ever could be. So what is your identity? What is your chief identity? Is it as a dad or a mom? Is it as a doctor or nurse? Is it as a pastor or deacon or administrator? Is it as a grandmom? A New Englander? Are you a boomer or a zoomer? A Democrat or Republican? A white person? A black person? A reform person? I could make the list longer and longer. There are all these alternate identities that may have their place. But be careful because your primary identity must be part of God's people who have experienced the life of God in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is true spirituality. Paul establishes that in the beginning, and then he goes on to teach us that we are diversely gifted. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are each given a gift. Notice what it says. To some is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To many is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To most is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. No, right? You paying attention? To each is given. Not some, not most, but each. Each one's given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone has a gift. Now Paul lists 13 gifts here. And because somebody advance that clock too fast. I won't be able to go through all the details and all the gifts here. But there are 13 listed here. We can find nine more elsewhere. And it's really important to understand that this list, these lists, the ones here in 1 Corinthians 12 and elsewhere, are not given to say, well, this is the, the, the total list and there's nothing else. Paul's not giving this list in that way, trying to say, well, there's only, you know, what, 22 and that's it. You either get one of these 22 or you're left without something. Sorry. No, he's coming at it from the opposite, the converse way. He's basically saying, guys, there's a long list of all sorts of stuff that you get from the Father. There are all types of gifts. Each one has a gift. Here are some gifts that we see that you've you've maybe experienced, Corinthians. These are all the different gifts. And he puts all these different gifts that, that the Corinthians are prioritizing one over another. He puts them alongside each other and lists all types. And the list in Scripture goes on and on. And, and, and I would love to teach on the particular gifts. We value all the gifts. We believe all the gifts uh, operate today. We don't believe all the offices operate to get today as well. So God gives the gifts of, of spiritual gifts. also gives the gifts of people and offices. 
uh, Ephesians 4 and here in 1 Corinthians 12 as well, we see these listed. Apostle, prophet, teacher. Um, evangelist, pastor, pastor, teacher in Ephesians 4. And not all those offices operate today. Apostles, you had to have seen the risen Christ, been commissioned by the risen Christ, and walk in really powerful miracles. Those miracles can continue, but, but the office doesn't because there aren't any people that were discipled by the risen Christ. It appears that the prophets, the, the gift of prophecy continues, but, but prophets per se were limited to an early age. Paul says in Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, probably meaning those prophets that were there. We also know that Paul, Paul teaches us the, that the, when he seeks to have churches built up and seeks to have offices installed, Toby talked about this recently, there's only two offices that are installed in the church. So there's no instruction anywhere to how to install an apostle, a, pa- uh, a prophet, or an evangelist, but pastors and teachers and deacons. So we understand offices this way, yet the gifts that are behind these offices continue with the church. The gifts continue today. There's no, no other reason to dis- discount any of these gifts. So they continue, and, and each one has a gift. That's the point here. Everybody has a gift, whatever it might be. Both miraculous gifts, gifts of healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, the ability to speak in tongues and pray in tongues, or, or to interpret what someone is saying in tongues for the benefit of others. Miracles, being able to, to pray for, for mighty things to happen. Healing, praying for healing and watching it happen. These are gifts that God gives. And I've seen these gifts in operation. It seems for some reason we see them more prominently in places where the gospel is newly advancing in parts of the world. In places in, that I've been. We've seen this. Places you, some of you have been, you've seen this. These gifts continue. So whether they're the miraculous gifts or other gifts like teaching that seem just more natural gift, enhanced, or, or mercy and helps, uh, these are chief, uh, the most common gifts I've seen in the church are the gifts of helps and mercy. In other words, the ability to, to be sensitive to others and do things that edify and help them come alongside them. Uh, a church needs this gift to be a predominant gift in the church, and that's what I've seen in my experience, he gives this gift. It seems normal, it doesn't seem miraculous, but Paul's putting it in this list to say, guys, these are all from the same spirit. These are all right alongside each other. There's no gift above another. There's no, there's no special gift. They're all from God, not ourselves. Each of us have at least one gift. That's what Paul's saying. Everyone, if you are a believer and you're here today, you have at least one gift to give. And I would submit you probably have multiple gifts. It may not be the gift to pray for people to be raised from the dead and they're raised from the dead. It may not be the gift to be a pastor teacher. But there are gifts there that are significant. It could be all sorts of things. Things beyond this list. This list is not meant to be exhaustive. No one comes to this party empty-handed. No one. You are all given gifts if you are a believer. And those gifts are meant to be used Alongside all the other gifts, we're diversely gifted, all of us. It's like each of us have been invited to a party where we're going to put a jigsaw puzzle together. And you get that piece in your invitation with you. Maybe you get an envelope with multiple pieces. And it says, come to the party, come to the jigsaw puzzle party. 
And what happens if you don't go to the party with your gift? You end up with a jigsaw puzzle missing pieces. Have you ever made one like that? Want to make one of those a thousand piece jigsaw puzzles and you think there might be a piece missing and then, yep, when you get the piece number 999, you put it in, yep, for sure, this puzzle's missing a piece. You are given that piece to come to plug in to your local church, if you're part of this church, this church. And this is a strong exhortation from God to bring your peace to the party. To be a part, actively engaged in this church or whatever church you're a part of with your gift because you have a gift and God has given that to you not to be kept to yourself, not to be kept back from being a part of the group, but to, to fully participate. Each of us are diversely gifted. Next, we are united as one body. We are diversely gifted. We're, we're commonly called to one body. That's emphasized throughout here. Verse 13, one spirit, one body, many members. So this metaphor of the body is used throughout here, and I, I know you've heard this before. So I, uh, we've, we've taught from this passage. But we're taught here clearly we are, we're baptized into one body. And, it's, and this metaphor of the body is used, but then it, it says, so it is with Christ. Uh, in other words, this isn't just a metaphor, this is a reality. You are the body of Christ, actually. In a, in a mysterious way that we don't fully understand, we are actually the body of Christ. We belong to Christ. And our union with Christ is that profound. And, and the whole church is that, but also local churches are local expressions of the very body of Christ. So King of Grace Church, you are the body of Christ. And you and I, we need to understand ourselves this way. We are brought together in unity just as Christ is one. We are brought together with diverse gifts to be a whole together. To be a body. No member of the body is unimportant or to be left alone. That's what Paul emphasizes here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, and he goes on to talk about these realities that, that even the parts of the body that, that are weaker are essential. The eyes, the epiglottis, right? Is that the thing that hangs down in the back of your throat? No, what? what's it? Uvula. Yeah, yeah. That's one of those things that just seems like, do I really need that? But if you didn't have it, you can choke on things. Those weaker parts are essential. The less honorable me members get special honor. I think of our feet. They're kind of a less honorable member. They're, at least my feet, they don't look too good. They can be smelly. But they get their own footwear. They get their own clothing, right? We honor the feet. Other parts that are, that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. Paul uses, he extends this metaphor to say, this is you guys. This is the reality. There's no like higher gifts here, no lower gifts. Each gift has its function. Yes, there's an order in terms of polity. We talked about that. But in terms of the gifts themselves, they're all equal. They're all part of the body. No matter what your gift is, it's just as important as the other. Because a body can't exist without all the members, can it? And may God grant us more and more so to have a culture here, which we already do, but it grow more and more, of honor for each and every member and what they bring, their giftedness, whatever it might be. And a culture here where we don't just to seek to employ certain gifts, 
but every gift. So that the whole body is walking together and the whole body relates to one another as a body. Paul talks about this in verse 26. This, this reality that, that when one part suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is how a body works, right? A healthy body. If one part suffers, your whole body feels it. I, last Monday, I, um, I reached into a box to open the box. And it had, you know, those, those uh, brass staples they used to staple them together? Well, there was a staple sticking out, a long one, and it went under my fingernail, way up. Yeah. <laughs> Get chills thinking about that. Um, and and uh, it's still actually, I'm having trouble healing. But I think about it, it's just this little bit of a fingertip. It's probably like one one-thousandth of my total body composition, right? I'm guessing. I'm about 200 pounds, right? This is about an ounce. It's about roughly that. Um, yet it's dominating how I feel. I keep on thinking, how's it going? Oh, no. What and then worrying, am I going to lose my fingertip? I'm, don't worry, I'm taking care of it. I'm going to lose my fingertip. You know, this little, little bitty fingertip. Why am I so worried about it? Because it's connected to my body. And I probably, I, don't, I guess I need it for typing, but it may not seem that important in some ways. But it doesn't feel unimportant. That's what we're called to as God's people. This is who we are. We are our corporate people and that corporate identity is so important. This world will confuse us and create dysphoria because it views who you are as you independently trying to find your way by yourself. God's presentation to us in the Word is you are first in Christ, beloved of God, empowered by the Spirit. Secondly, added to a local body. A body that is the very body of Christ. A body that's called to love one another and walk together and have that level of care like a body does each for one another and as a whole. All is essential. Every part of the body is needed. You can't have a, a, a strike by one of your parts, right? Like if your circulatory system decided to go on strike, you know, look, look, I just don't like being in the body and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to participate. What happens? You die. Other parts as well. There's parts that we don't even understand of the human body. The microbiome and, and all those things in your body. And we're learning like there's all these important things. And, and these are all, I think, adept analogies and metaphors for the reality of the church. To understand each one is called. Many churches, by the way, struggle with, with the reality of called the 80-20 factor. Where... 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I don't think we have that, by the way. Um, I don't know what our percentage is, but I believe you guys do a very good job. But I think there's room to grow here. And taking your gift and getting involved and getting connected. And I don't mean, I don't mean to pick on any group, but I'm, I'm concerned about the next generation. Because I think there's a natural, both in the culture and the reality, because this is your parents' church, to think, I can sit back. I can keep my jigsaw puzzle, jigsaw puzzle piece to myself and maybe try to get with my other young people friends and we'll do our own jigsaw puzzle. And I want to challenge you to hear God's word, to understand your vital importance to us as a whole church. Young people really are in many ways, the, to continue the metaphor, the adrenaline and muscle system of the body. We need you. And no matter what your age might be, particularly if you're 18 or older, but, but, but all of you, we need you. 
And you're called to find your life in Christ and find your life in participation in the life and mission of the local church as we together do all the things we're called to do. Yes, it's a broad world. is a broad mission God has. But, but we are called to walk as the very body of Christ locally. Zoomers and millennials, please give yourselves to these things more and more. Some of you already are. Thank you. But even more and more so. That we might walk together as a healthy and whole body. Quickly in conclusion. Paul finishes in verse 31. He says, But I earnestly desire the higher gifts. What he means there is the gifts that edify. Particularly in contrast to the gift of tongues, which edifies you personally. He's going to adjust that in, in the following chapters. Chapter 14. The gift of tongues does not have the same usefulness as these other gifts. That's what he's getting at. But then he says, And I will show you a still more excellent way. He's going to talk for a whole chapter, pretty much, about love. To understand that this body metaphor doesn't mean much if there's not love. These gifts, these members coming together in unity, it doesn't mean much if there's not love. You can be a beautiful and fit human body, but if there's not love, there's perhaps nothing uglier than a corrupted beauty, a beautiful person who is full of things besides love. I recently watched with Peg a biography on Cleopatra. If you know about her, she was beautiful and incredibly brilliant, but full of intrigue and deceit and murder. She needed love. And we're called to love. The very love of God to fill us and to animate us and to, to motivate us. Having received His love, to love one another deeply from the heart. To love every single member together. To feel the hurt when one's hurting. And when one's doing well and something good has happened. To rejoice as if it were us and those closest to us. We are part of something that's truly wonderful. We are the people of God in His church. We are a truly spiritual people, diversely gifted, united as one body in love. Let me conclude just by praying for us in light of this. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that we belong to You. We thank You, Lord, that You have given each of us gifts. I thank You for the people here and all their gifts, their varied gifts. And I pray You would continue to build us together as one body, united in Christ, in love. And I pray that this body would shine for Your glory, Jesus, more and more. You would grow us and expand us and multiply us. You'd fill our hearts with love and care and joy. You would make yourself known through us to our family members, our community, and even to the nations. We thank you that we are the people of God, the church, the members of the church, this church. Teach us and lead us, we pray, our God, in Christ's name. Amen.